Jennifer Zapparelli. Weekday morning from 9 on 2FM. A perfect storm is how the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, has described the current overcrowding situation at A&E departments all around the country. But for the next few minutes, we don't want to focus on what the problem is, but more so why there is such a huge problem in our A&E departments and why... why it keeps happening over and over again. So to talk a little bit more about this, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined on the phone by consultant in emergency medicine, Dr. Lisa Cunningham. Good morning, Dr. Lisa. How are you? Morning, Africa. How are you? I'm great. Not a bother. How are you? More to the point. Tired. Yeah. I can <laughs> Tired, ima- definitely. But I can imagine. Um so I want to ask you just a couple of, of we just want to try and get to the, the causes, I guess, of this. So yeah. we, we all know that there's a huge problem at the moment, but can you give us a little bit of insight into what you're seeing on the front line in the emergency department that you work in? So we've definitely had numerous presentations that are coming to the emergency department over the last two or three weeks, probably a little bit more than we expect coming to the emergency department. Mm -hmm. But I do want to make the distinction of patients that are coming and presenting to the emergency department Mm -hmm. may not translate to getting admitted into the emergency department and into the actual hospital itself. I think that's a really key point, Africa, because patients that are coming to the emergency department may be coming as a lack of um, not being able to access primary care. So whether it's at the GPs, out of hours, minor injury units, etc., all of that that's been happening, or even community uh, things that they need, like OT, physio, etc. They may not necessarily get admitted to the emergency department. So when they do get admitted, then they go into another stream, which is actually where we have the problem with the bed capacity. So the patients that we're seeing coming to the emergency department are our normal day-to-day patients. We're seeing heart attacks, we're seeing strokes, we're seeing road traffic collisions. Yes, we do have the infectious illnesses, but they are absolutely not the cause of it. And I was just looking up this morning about the different rates of it because this is given as an excuse about our overwhelm. Mm. But it's not the overwhelm, definitely not the overwhelm that's caused in the actual hospital for the beds capacity. So if you look up the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, so this is um, the HPSC website. This tells us all about influenza in our um, country, mm-hmm. over all our sites. So just before Christmas, and they are quoting the figure that there's like over a thousand cases that's been diagnosed. But that's not actually in the hospital but what's in the hospital is about 294 this is just one week before Christmas I'm looking at they haven't updated it yet so those 294 patients that are in the hospitals all across the 29 sites in Ireland Mm. are not causing the crisis yeah so the RSV, which has also been told uh, the dates are the figures for that there was 502 cases just before Christmas of diagnosis but again, what was translated to in-hospital was 187. So it's not necessarily the patients with the flu-like illnesses and the infectious diseases that are causing any delays or any problems with emissions. We know this happens every year. We're still just trying to struggle with our normal day-to-day butter. Sure. The, the, you mentioned there at the, at the top just about the a, a lack of, of primary care in the system. So Am I right then to, to say that the emergency department isn't actually the problem because they get caught in between the two systems, which is the primary care system and the acute system. So can, can you explain a little bit about why those systems put A&Es under so much pressure? Yeah, and I'm delighted that I'm allowed to kind of get this a little bit more airtime because yeah. I love my job as an emergency medicine consultant. Yeah. And anybody who works in emergency medicine loves it as well. But we are absolutely being finger blamed, pointed at. You look at any of the media today and you look at its ED crisis, ED problem, ED. It is not the emergency department. We are caught in the middle of a bottleneck between two different systems that have been chronically 
I'm going to say under-resourced, but maybe just allocation of that budget has just gone a little bit awry. Okay. So, like, I have lots of colleagues who are GPs. They have been so super over the Christmas period. They are absolutely on their knees trying their best to try and get to see patients. And it would show that there are patients that are coming through that are not. There's figures out from Cork that shows that actually about 7% of out-of-hours went to the emergency department. So they are not causing the problems with mm-hmm. it. But we do know that there's going to be a lack of GPs. There's a lot of them that are due to retire. We also know that community services are not freely accessible for patients who may need it, like the elderly population, for example, OT, mm-hmm. physio, social work, etc. Mm-hmm. And again, minor injuries clinic when patients don't have access to this. I work in Mayo, the most beautiful County, of course, in Ireland. Of course. We, don't ha- we don't have a minor injuries unit in Ireland. So Roscommon is our nearest minor injuries unit. So if you yes. have somebody from Belmullet, which is really, really West Ireland, yeah. you're telling them that they have to go on a journey, which is probably about two, even two and a half hours, like to get to a minor injuries clinic yeah. with a broken bone. It, it, you know, when you have an emergency department, we're the only county, sorry, we're the only emergency department in this county, the third biggest county. Wow. We don't have a minor injuries unit. So those primary care or primary access points for the patients are not available. So they have no option but to come to the emergency department. And then on the other side, when we have patients that are admitted, so they come in with acute appendicitis or mm-hmm. they come in quite unwell with sepsis or heart attacks, they get admitted to the hospital. But we don't have the bed capacity in the actual hospital. So they have to stay in our emergency department. So they are admitted under a medical team, but stay in our physical emergency department on a trolley for days and that's where we're seeing that crisis but unfortunately everybody points the finger at yeah. or sorry the media are more quick to point the finger at the emergency department which then leads to the perception of the public thinking oh well the emergency department is a mess exactly. but it's actually we're trying our best to do it but we're caught in that bottleneck between the two systems I see you, you explain it really well actually about how uh, how that bottleneck is created from the two sides if you know what I mean mm-hmm. so you shared on your Instagram yesterday so these statistics are mad. So you said mm-hmm. we had we had more acute beds in 1981 for a population of 3.5 million people than we do in 2022 for a population of 5 million. How can that be? So what's happened to those beds? I would love to know. They were taken out of the system. And I think that, act, that visual of that graph, by the way, these are all Department of Health figures. Uh-huh. These, this is not me just pulling it out sure, of the of air. Yeah, this yeah. is absolutely, and it's, it's referenced from that as well. Mm-hmm. We had 16,000 acute beds in 1981. And you could see on that graph very, very clearly at around 98 to 2003, there was a sharp decline in the amount of access of acute beds. It went right down to probably about 11,000 or so. Mm-hmm. We are now at the same point as we were in 2002, mm-hmm. 20 years ago, with the same number of acute beds. But also on that graph, you could see that our population has grown, obviously, by 1.5 million since 1981. We also have an ageing population. So we have a, a fant- and in Mayo, we just have a fantastic elderly population. And I love chatting with them when they come in. Yeah. This is anticipated. This was predicted all the way back in 1981. But we just have not planned for it. And when I say we haven't, I mean the success of governments that have been there for at least the last 20 years, mm. having their own acute bed capacity reviews, their own reports. Mm-hmm. They haven't listened to the frontline staff that have said this every year, we need more beds, we need more beds. The IMO, the Irish Medical Organisation and the INMO have said every year in their budget submissions, what about the acute bed capacity? Why can you not give us more beds for us? We don't have the answers. I'm, you know, my work is clinical, mm. my work is treating patients. There is something somewhere along the way that somebody has to answer as to why those beds were taken out. So this must be massively frustrating for you then and for your colleagues and all healthcare professionals because you, you know 
realistically that you're going to face the same issues every single year and not see a solution. So what's the what's the morale like in among your colleagues and in like any departments around the country at the moment? Well, it's it's solo. It really yeah. is solo. And we do have a global healthcare workforce that are exiting. So it's, this is not just a, a problem for acute medicine. There is definitely globally and internationally a lot of healthcare workers are leaving because they are burnt out from the pandemic. Mm. So it's not just unique to Ireland. I will definitely say that. However, the extra pressures of what we're going through every year definitely adds into it. So uh, we try, I keep saying to our colleagues, like we need to take the positivity out of every day. And when we practice emergency medicine and we save a person's life we're able to get that heart attack in get them re- yeah. resourced get all that done that's your little positivity this this makes us feel that this is the work that we're trained to do for the last mm. 12 years I've been trained to do it when you get a septic patient you're able to resource them when you're able to put that shoulder back in place and heal that person's pain yeah. you're able to feel that positivity and go no I can do my job and I am I, I am able to do my job however we could do it so much better if the barrier points were addressed a lot more but it just feels like it falls on deaf ears so mm. every day we're trying, you know, any of those, your service, your stay from the HSE, when people actually do compliments into it, it gets down to the staff. We print it out, we put it up at our staff notice board. And, you know, it's a great talking point where we feel that we actually do our job properly. Because, again, healthcare workers coming in in the mornings, you do listen to the radio and you hear negativity. Like yeah. two days ago, I was going in and I heard something about, the, you know, this is the pessimistic outlook and it's going to get worse before we get better. I was like, mm. quick, change the station quickly. I don't want to be listening to that coming in. Yeah. You know, so we want to have that positivity to make us feel like actually we are doing the work that we're meant to be able to do if we could just have the extra space to be able to do it and perform our duties well. Can I ask you, because like you say, I mean, you're on your way into work and you're hearing like you're hearing your, your job and your place of work being talked about like that. There are a lot, lot of people listening who might have elderly parents or they might have young kids or they might have their own health concerns. Do you have any advice for people who are actually really frightened by the headlines at the moment that you just described there? It, it makes me so sad. My own family are the exact same as well who are non-medical. So yeah. the, uh, my, my biggest thing for people is to keep lobbying. Lobby, lobby, lobby. I've, and mm. When I compare this with what happened during the summer at Dublin Airport when there was the big lines, the big queues, everything that happened, and there was the line coming outside, people were on the floor, you know, they were just drinking water. And mm. it, there was talk about the army called in. Yeah. For patients, yeah, for people yeah. that were going on holidays. Mm-hmm. How is there not as much of an uproar about what is going on in our health service mm-hmm. from our population and from the staff and from, the, well, I suppose the staff, we, we kind of do have to keep our head below the line in a way, but the, the population. Now, I will say there has to be a way about doing it because when we hear these stories, it does have a negative effect on the healthcare because we're going, we are literally trying to do our best. And yeah, when we course. hear stories like that, you know, it, it's not, we, we've been there. We know exactly what's going on with these patients. We're trying to hold their hands and trying to do our best for them in there. And we know that it's failing. The system is failing for them. But yeah, just keep lobbying. That's all I keep saying. Keep it in the news. Keep it in the forefront. Compare it to what happened during the summer when there was a crisis at the airports and the army was practically being yeah. called in. How is that not been happening well not that I feel that the army needs to be called in but how is it not as extreme of a reaction sure when this when this is happening every winter and even we had a bed crisis as well during the summer yeah yeah and can so. I can I ask you as well Lisa just sorry just to finish mm-hmm. what's best practice for somebody who feels they may need may, may need to attend A&E at the, at, oh. at the moment like what what's what's the recommendation so, so th- what the HSE is definitely saying is to try, unless it's an emergency, mm-hmm. you know, 
then try your out of hours, try your GP, okay. try your minor injuries, you know, try undertheweather.ie, your local pharmacy. Oh my gosh, you're know, probably the most underutilized <laughs> place. Now, I, I'd say pharmacists are probably looking at their, or listen to the radio going, oh please, they are really busy themselves. They are a fantastic resource as well. But if you have to come to the emergency department, we will look after you. We absolutely will. I'm one of the consultants. I'm there in triage. I'm seeing patients. I'm redirected and I'm getting, you know, we're, we're all working really, really hard together. So you please don't be afraid of coming in. Please don't be afraid of having to ring the emergency services if you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that does get lost because we are still seeing heart attacks and strokes coming through. We're still yeah. seeing that. We don't want to not see that because we'll be afraid of what has had the repercussions. Lisa, thanks so much for your time. You did a great explainer on your on your Instagram. Do you want to do you want to give out your Instagram there because it just, it might be useful to some people? Yeah, so it's at Dr. Lisa Cunningham. Um, and thanks, because a lot of people have said about just breaking it down. Yeah, the, they have never, they've never actually seen it in that the, light Exactly, the, ex- the explainer is, is, is great. That's Dr. Lisa Cunningham. She's a consultant in emergency medic- medicine and a pre-hospital doctor as well. We're going to be back with more after this, Lisa. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Afri. Thank have a good you. Day. Jennifer Zapparelli. Weekday morning from nine. On 2FM.